eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to this week's edition of the State of Recruiting, your weekly Horns 24-7 recruiting podcast. I'm Mike Roach, and I'm joined as always by Hudson Standish. And we are back for another week uh, before we get into everything today. Hudson, how's it going? Mike, I'm pumped. I mean, we're into training camp. It's the, uh, I honestly, it's the home stretch until we get football back. We had the Hall of Fame game tonight, which doesn't really do it for me. But I mean, shoot, man, we're so close. Yeah, I, um, I did find myself watching a little bit of uh, Raiders Jags tonight on TV. Um, before we recorded this, I had to actually turn it down so we could record. Uh, and you know, the hall of fame game is cool for like 10 minutes and then you're like, Oh, <laughs> all the bad. Yeah, exactly. But you're so hungry for it. It's like the first thing of the, of the off season that comes back around. And so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's football fever time for sure. We're going to talk a lot about that. We're talking about Texas recruiting. We're talking a little bit about the team. Um, but before we do, Hudson, what's up? Uh, one last thing, too. I should be a little bit more grateful because there was a time during the uh, pandemic when we were at, without sports for, I, I don't know, it felt like forever, but I'm sure it was just a couple of months where I would have killed for Jags Raiders preseason. So I should be a little bit more grateful um, that just there's football on. You would have just like, were, you were watching the whole thing, rewatch it, break it yeah, down. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, Obviously, I think most people know that I'm a big soccer fan, but like there was a Borussia Dortmund versus I can't even remember who they played that kind of opened up sports again. And I want to say it had like hundreds of millions of viewers for just a regular season German Bundesliga game. So, I mean, if the NFL like I mean, I'm sure you remember it, too, Mike. That was probably the best NFL draft year of all time because it was just. Yeah, you know, it was like actual football related stuff going on, even though ESPN's coverage was uh, very like trauma based, if you remember correctly. Yeah, I also have to think it was the most uh, most watched draft. If it wasn't, I mean, it's got to be close because it felt like everybody had takes about, you know, what the Titans were doing at 31 or like whatever. Yeah. And also, like, uh, I remember the like for me when hockey came back. Oh yeah. I could, it was like, okay, we're in this terrible time. Nobody can leave their house. But when I wake up, there's hockey on at 10 AM and it doesn't end until like midnight. And I could just sit here all day and watch hockey. That wasn't bad either. Um, Exactly. But yeah, anyway, I just should be more grateful that there's actual football back on TV. Cause again, 
way back when I would have done anything just to see some pads popping. But Texas is getting closer to kickoff. I think we're at 29 days or are we will be soon at 29 days. Thank the Lord. We are not in that situation anymore. Uh, and we do have sports on at all times uh, anymore. And I think first we'll start a little bit of recruiting here. Uh, it is uh, as we're recording this, we are um, just outside of uh, what would we say here? Uh, about 15 hours away, almost from uh, daring the let's decision. Um, and I, you know, with, with him, uh, hold on real quick. I'm going to edit this out. Get in here and lay down. Sorry, Winston's treating the podcast like he does when I'm on the phone. All good, dog. All right, three, two, one. So as we record this, as you're listening to this today, Darian Gallette will make his decision. The four-star linebacker now from TIG, Texas. Uh, You might read that as TIG, but the uh, insiders there will let you know that it is indeed TIG, uh, Texas. Uh, we'll pick between Texas, Texas A&M, and Ohio State. I was out in TIG the other day just to see Darian, and uh, he is still recovering from that injury. won't play this season, but he's getting ready to enroll early in college. And uh, picking between those three schools, Hudson, you were – I feel like the uh, kind of the Darian surge was like right when I went on vacation. Uh, that's when you started hearing really good things. Uh, about Gallette and I think we both uh, fired off picks around that time uh, for Texas in the last month I think it's gotten a little more uh, you know maybe A&M making a push here or there but uh, for the most part I think Texas is kind of running the lead here talking to him the other day at the school I got the sense that A&M did make a, a little bit of a push late uh, after he visited Sunday for their pool party. But going into the decision, I still like where we are with Texas as the pick. Yeah, I do too, Mike. And there was a ton of Texas talk. I think that there were almost a couple times where Darian might have almost pulled the trigger earlier than this date, but he was convinced by other schools to take his time with the process. And, um, you know, heading into this August 5th uh, commitment, I, I feel really good about the Texas picks, um, to be completely honest. I I put a higher pr- um, confidence score than I usually do uh, on picks because that's how strongly we were hearing this Darian stuff. So obviously when he didn't make the trip to Texas but did to A&M, you know, I wanted to reevaluate and make sure that I wasn't just being stubborn um, with the intel, but you know, heading into tomorrow, I'd be pretty shocked if it was anybody other than Texas. And um, I don't know, I'm pretty excited about the potential of Darian Gillette being a Texas Longhorn as a player. Um, I, I think that this is somebody that at linebacker or at edge could be a legitimate weapon in Pete Kwiatkowski's defense. And Mike, you nailed it with the uh, early enrollee comment uh, with that just being a major factor too. Like Darian can come in next January and immediately start competing during spring ball if he's fully healthy. So 
you know, it, it really stinks that he's not going to get that final senior season um, because I think that that was somebody we considered as a player that could maybe get into the top 150, top 100 if everything went well. But just still somebody that I'm really excited about if Texas does land him. Just a small programming note. Uh, we are in the process of moving, so things are being packed up in my house, and I'm not doing this from my usual podcast studio. So if you hear a noise in the background, it's because I'm doing this from my kitchen. You're listening to live coverage of my dog eating right behind me. Uh, so if you hear some crunching, that's what it is. Uh, you know what? We'll we'll move on, and we'll do the best we can with, with uh, what we have. Um, you know, what's interesting is I talked to a source at Texas this week who not only talked about Darian as an inside linebacker and an edge, but potentially a guy that could play the star position, kind of almost like a Maurice Blackwell for them. And it's really how his body physically develops going forward over the next few years. That'll kind of dictate where he eventually lines up, but they see him as the type of athlete that could drop into coverage. They see him as a guy that can blitz from the interior. They see him as a guy that can rush off the edge. And when you look at those athletic markers, we talked about a lot in the spring basketball, and, and track especially, I think that that kind of all bears out. Yeah, Mike, I, I think that if you've only looked at Darian through his 24-7 recruiting page or maybe looked at a little bit of huddle, that might be that might be an interesting note. But if you've seen him in person where he you know, probably has like a 10, 6, uh, 11 foot jumping reach, anchored a four by 100 team that nearly won gold at the UIL state championships. Like he is an absolute freak. So while he's listed as edge uh, as an edge for us and Texas is likely going to play him at linebacker, he's such a super freak athlete that they can kind of just see where his body naturally goes through strength and conditioning and just, you know, find a spot for him on the field. So it's a really interesting note. When you told me it, I was pretty hype. Um, and yeah, I, I'm just excited to see how he looks after his rehab. That's really the number one thing for me. And I like that from everything that I've heard, at least, he seems to be really attacking the rehab and making sure that, you know, he's back um, on the field in the near future. I'll say this. Um, I have, I, I saw him last season and I, look, there's there's a lot of work he's going to have to do to get ready for the college level. He played He's played at the small school level. Speed of the game adjustment is going to be big for him, all those sorts of things. He's very raw. But the thing I can't get out of my head is that basketball clip of him from the spring where he is running Magic. in transition and just punching a an alley-oop. And just for a guy his size who is going to, going to play at, you know, what are probably 240-plus, um, Man, just the fluidness and the explosiveness. That's kind of what um what you see when you uh when you see those sorts of things. So uh not to mention how about uh you know how about a round of applause for Jeff Chode? I know he lost Anthony Hill uh earlier in the week, but how about the linebacker position going three for four on their top targets if they get Darian Gillette? And, and really adding some impact players to that group. Yeah, Mike, I think that's the perfect way to put it. Obviously, you would rather go four for four, and Anthony Hill was the biggest target. That's a true five-star. There should be no you know qualms about 
the fact that it sucks for Texas fans missing on that recruitment. But when you look at if you're overall just grading jobs like Darian Gillette, if he does commit to Texas, which again, we have the picks in, we do think he will, but that's a head to head in over Texas A&M, Alabama, Ohio State. Leona Leifau was a wild pull. Uh, from West Coast, Power, Oregon, and Utah, a school that he had a ton of connections to. And then Samaje Burrell was one of the early lockdowns of the cycle. And, you know, Samaje Burrell had an Ohio State offer, and I believe, what, turned down a visit at the last second to Ohio State to lock in that Texas pledge, if I remember correctly, Mike? Yeah, I mean, it was... It's the thing that people get mad about when it's when it happens to Texas, but you know it's certainly they they kind of turn the tables on that one. So um, you know, I, getting him like they went into this year with a very clear plan of guys they wanted. They landed you know landed two of them in a great position to land Galette, and then obviously they'll keep working on Anthony Hill, but you know that's obviously going to be a tough one. Exactly. And so getting it's not just getting three out of your four targets. It's getting three out of four legit slugfest battles for me, because, you know, I think that sometimes schools will say, oh, well, this guy was our priority target the entire time. And then in reality, it's like, okay, well, you're beating some lower tier power five schools for his signature. No, like Choate, if they do land Darian Gillette, we'll have three out of four like slugfest recruiting victories. And I think that just kind of, you know, a- after only taking Travell Johnson last year proves that he kind of can recruit the linebacker position at this big boy level. And honestly, it's one of the better linebacker classes for Texas that I can remember, Mike. I mean, maybe the, I mean, I can't even uh, exactly remember what this class could potentially compare to. And a question that I have for you, and I think a lot of fans will too. Do you think that Texas will take another linebacker or if they're going to stick at three and maybe attack the portal? Yeah, I think they will probably stick at three uh, for high school unless they were able to get uh, Anthony Hill in the boat. Or, you know, I guess if you talk about, if you talk about maybe maybe some guy that – is not on the radar now, but it's a highly ranked guy comes open, you know, and, and decides to give Texas a look. Maybe that could be a possibility, but I think the more likely scenario is them chasing a guy in the portal in the off season. Yeah, man, it, it's so encouraging. And then after Gillette, you have two more scheduled announcements and then uh, CJ Baxter, the five-star or close to five-star fringe five-star running back out of Orlando, Florida on August the 10th and Jordan Matthews out of Baton Rouge on August the 15th for the horns. And, you, you know, we will talk about this a little later. Also, Braylon Shelby's is uh, scheduled to announce on the six. So Texas, exactly. you know, they've got, they're in the mix for uh, a bunch of these guys. And, you know, I think people have complained a little bit about the, maybe the recruiting momentum stalling a bit, but I think it's just a case of like, when you're at 20, where, what are they at? 20, 20 commits right now. Um, when you're this there, 20 or 21. <laughs> when you're there, it's like, they're going to start coming in at a slower speed. You know what I mean? Like, you know, people are, uh, people are, the class is going to fill up, you know, slower at this point, there are less targets, uh, all that sort of thing. So, um, 
you know, I think that all those things come into consideration. With C.J. Baxter, I think we've talked a lot about him and, and where we see that going. Um, and, you know, man, I've really, over the last, like, month or two, kind of been waiting for the, hey, we've had a change in direction with C.J. Baxter. We've had this, you know, something happen. It's really been quiet on that front uh, from an Intel standpoint. I think all signs still kind of point to Texas. Which, oh, does Winnie have a t- Yes, Hudson. So for listeners of the podcast, Hudson knows that my dog loses his mind whenever I get on the phone. Um, He squeaks his toys. He wants to go out all the time. And he's basically treating this podcast because I'm usually doing it in a room where I can close him away from it. He's treating this podcast like I'm on the phone. It's honestly it's honestly endearing uh, to me. I'm sure that uh, some of the listeners will be like, oh, no, now my dog's going to hear a squeaky toy. But um anyway with with Baxter it's so interesting because I don't know there were a couple of sources who with Ruben Owens when we started to hear the look Texas is really going in all all in on Baxter talk and I remember us being like okay well you know there seem that we feel good about where they are with Arch we really felt about where they were with Jonte so is going away from that original triplets idea, the smartest move. And honestly, you know, to shard choice and the Texas staff making that decision to pivot away from Owens and focus solely on going all in on Baxter, just, I mean, they deserve a ton of props if it ends up uh, going the horns way. And Mike, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but you want to talk about a player that I'm so excited to watch live in the fall this year Every, we, we've been on the on a couple of different calls where we've watched live uh, full game tapes of Baxter together, and he's just phenomenal. He's he's everything that you read and more. I I don't think that there's a player in the class that I'm more confident is going to hit on their rating. Yeah, and could be higher if he had some of those athletic markers we talk about. Doesn't run track or doesn't have any at least times out there. So um, I think. To me, when you talk about the decision of is it Baxter or, or Ruben, what the decision they made, it really mirrors the uh, Zach Evans, Bijan Robinson recruitments, where you know Ruben Owens and the Zach Evans role of like the guy that we've heard about for years coming up, and Texas is all in on, and then all of a sudden they kind of pivot, and and when Texas, when Zach Evans kind of got shaky with Texas, they pivoted very quickly to Bijan Robinson and, and put all their focus on him. And that's kind of how this has gone uh, as well. So uh, we'll see kind of how that shakes out on the 10th. And then on the 15th, uh, Jordan Matthews making his decision, the four-star corner from Baton Rouge Woodlawn. I think this is a race where Texas has benefited from treating Jordan Matthews like a priority from the very beginning. And Tennessee made a push in the summer, and I would say it was a credible push, but getting him back on campus for that pool party was huge. And I think the key indicator was him saying after that, okay, now I'm going to move up my decision timeline. Mike, it was so cool getting to talk to Jordan Matthews uh, in person after the pool party. Cause we had both spoken to him, I believe um, at the junior day. And he definitely was talking um, positive about Texas after that junior day. But after the pool party, it was just, almost a different level where he came out of DKR smiling and was holding up the fours, almost like a player would heading into the fourth quarter um, with their team, but he was holding up the four 
And when the me- when he got to the media scrum, immediately it was just like four times, been to Texas four times on official visits, and I keep coming back and was smiling. Um, and immediately just started talking about, hey, I'm going to move my you know decision up, um, not trying to give anything away. Obviously, the tr- trip was really good. And I asked him a question, essentially being like, look, you've been to Texas four times, you know, you have a lot of positive things to say. Can you kind of speak on the fact that Texas was really early on you compared to schools like Alabama, LSU, Clemson, who pulled the trigger, I'd say, largely once we got those athletic markers for track in the spring, but also I know that he looked really good in camp settings as well. And he just straight up was like, look, Texas saw the vision from the jump, treated like me like a priority and said, you know, we know that you're going to turn into this player. Other schools finished product and tried to hop in. So I thought that was just an amazing quote. And Mike, uh, Jordan Matthews is definitely bulking up. Like he did not look his listed 160 pounds. So he's somebody that I would put a ton of stock in, especially compared to, he has a great ranking, but I, somebody I think we both, view as a potential riser in the fall just with his athletic profile his junior tape was awesome and um you know just the off the field mental stuff that checks out as well couldn't be higher on him as a player all right i'm leaving this note mike called a timeout in case this somehow sneaks into the podcast um but hello future mike editing this I'm going to kill him. Uh, Winnie? Live on the podcast. I'm going to kill him. Um, okay, three, two, one. Yeah, you know, when I saw him in the spring at the Louisiana State track meet, he looked big. He's got a big frame. He's long. It can really run. I mean, I think it was you that was like, you know, we all we always liked Jordan Matthews, but I think it was you that found some early times from him in the spring. And sent him to me and was like, look, if he's running these times, like consistently, we're talking about a different athlete than I think we we thought we were. Um, and, you know, he's got multiple, I think, sub 10 sevens or at least close to 10 seven. He's uh, under he's a 21 point something 200 guy uh, and then ran anchor on all the relays for Woodlawn. And, and that's a really talented team in the Baton Rouge area. I mean, they've got some athletes. So, you know, if they can finish the job and get him in credit to Terry Joseph for recruiting that way from the beginning. And I think, you know, that's another guy that a lot of people question Terry Joseph, but if if you look at back-to-back cycles if Terry Joseph pulls off Terrence Brooks and uh, uh, Austin Jordan, and then, uh, you know, you get here and and you've got uh, Malik Muhammad and, Jordan Matthews and possibly JV and Taviano. I mean, that's a really impressive recruiting job by him. Yeah, he deserves a ton of credit. I'm glad you said that too, Mike, because it's not even just, I mean, I don't know. It he deserves some credit because especially early on in the 2022 cycle, that was a coach that kind of got targeted a little bit. But like you said, with the Louisiana connections and even just the ability to get guys like Terrence Brooks, like you mentioned, really, really good job. Um, Here was a question that I'm probably going to tackle in an article that I want to get your takes on before we fully move on. What do you think 
stacked up head to head is more impressive defensive, the potential defensive back class or the potential wide receiver class. Hmm. I think I'd have to say defensive back just because, you know, Malik Muhammad already in the group. If you get, you've already got a five-star guy, Derek Williams, you know, you've got a, a high upside guy in Jamel Johnson. If you can get, uh, you know, Jordan Matthews and potentially Taviano in there. I think if you just looked at it from an average rating perspective, that would be the higher group. I tend to agree. I'm not, I'm going to write up that article tonight. I'm not actually sure where I stand on it right now. I know that's a little city, but if they get Jay, if they do get Jalen Hale and we, I believe I have a pick in for Texas. Mike, do you have a pick in for Hale? I can't remember. Uh, I believe I do. Okay. Um, if they get Jalen Hale, then it gets really close just because when you're kind of matching them up head to head, it's really intriguing. But Derek Williams is one where I'm just still so ecstatic that he's in the class that he might be the tiebreaker. Um, but I just wanted to quickly get your uh, thoughts on that. And then you mentioned the Braylon Shelby decision on August the 6th down to USC and Texas. Really, <sighs> I wrote about it. I'm not going to put in a pick because Braylon um, is one of the guys that I'm closest to in the class. Um, and really my entire career as a recruiting reporter, fantastic kid. I think that he is legitimate first round potential at edge. Extremely excited for him to just get this decision done because it's, I know it's been kind of a big weight on his shoulders. It does feel like it's going to be USC heading into the August 6th decision, but I don't think Texas is going to stop uh, recruiting him. And I don't get the feeling that during the fall, he's going to, you know, be resistant to schools trying to flip him from USC. Um, obviously, he uh, if he does make the decision to go to UFC, uh, sorry, USC, not the UFC, um, the Trojans, USC, you know, he could be John Jones. I was about to say he would be probably a contender at light heavyweight, but that's for a, uh, future talking UFC hypotheticals episode where we talk about what recruits would be the best UFC fighters, which we do have takes about. Um, (laughs) but anyway, I, I don't know. It's, I think that there's a chance that they could maybe get him late if they have a good season. I've, you know, mentioned on the board that who knows with Colton Vosick too out of the, uh, the Austin Westlake high school. Um, so I, I don't know, Mike, it's one of those things to where it is looking like it's trending towards USC, but you know, you never know. And the Texas staff, has definitely proven that they can get some uh, their spatulas out on national signing day. It's interesting because I was talking to a source last week who said, I think Sark is almost better as a guy in a position to flip a kid than he is to get a commitment. And if you look at the way the 22 class kind of ended, that's certainly true. And, you know, there were a couple things in their favor there. I mean, obviously, Mario Cristobal leaving Oregon helped. But it, it is an interesting point that, you know, he he's just kind of better from that position uh, because he's not as high pressure when it comes to closing. Um, whereas when it kind of gets down to crunch time, he can lay out a scenario for these kids to flip in. And so... I definitely think that is uh, in the cards. It is, uh, we are coming up on the end of the first week of high school football practice for those who did not 
take part in spring ball. Everybody else gets started on Monday. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Um, and we were kind of kicking around an idea pre-show about who are the players we are most excited to see. Um, so before we do that, I want to uh, take this time to take a break. Uh, you guys will hear from our sponsors, and then we will come back with our next segment. All right, Hudson, so who are you most excited to see this fall? I mentioned as a tease C.J. Baxter, and that's definitely one of them. Because I'm definitely more excited about the guys that I haven't seen uh, in person yet, right? So guys like Connor Stroh or Andre Kojo or Trevor Gooseby that I actually have evaluated live, they kind of suffer in this exercise. Um, I'm really excited to see CJ Baxter. I really want to see Peyton Kirkland, the latest Texas commit um, out of Orlando, Florida as well. Um, another one that uh, is not a Texas commit, but will be visiting Texas on September 10th that I cannot wait to watch is Deuce Robinson. That is somebody that just screams five-star athlete and I can't wait to uh, see him compete. And then, you know, I, I mean, he doesn't get as much talk from us. And I know that some people will laugh about this, but compared to other, uh, <laughs> compared to, I guess, his ranking, we don't talk about Arch Manning as much other than the press, you know, the stuff that we kind of have to, just because it does kind of get uh, a little tiresome at times. But, you know, he has a lot to prove as a senior. Uh, and it's going to be exciting to watch him for Newman. The guys I'm excited to see, I mentioned this to you pre-show, but I want to see if Spencer Shannon can take that next step forward and kind of that was my favorite that, that four-star range. You know, he was he flashed a couple times last year, mostly was used as a blocking tight end. But can he really, you know, expand his receiving game and become a guy uh, that becomes, you know, a high-impact player uh, and, and a guy that kind of boosts the ranking at the lower end of that class? I think he's a guy definitely to watch. Another one that, like, I feel like we're kind of underrating here because he he was a little banged up last year. I'm really interested to see Ryan Niblett on the field this year. Uh, I was going to mention him if you didn't. I know he's played a lot of quarterback and, and has had to to kind of line up with the ball, but I want to see him at receiver. I want to see him kind of doing his thing and, and how he really matches up with the rest of the guys in the class and at the position. So uh, those are two guys for sure. And then – 
Um, you know, when uh, one guy I think we're both kind of in lockstep with that we feel could really rise with a big senior year is Trevor Goosby. How does Trevor Goosby take the next step of his development and what does his senior season look like? I have another one for you before we move on as well. Somebody that we saw during our trip to Houston really impressed us and we kind of circled at that time, but just kind of gets forgotten about because of all the other names in the Texas class. Dylan Spencer looked great, and I cannot wait to watch him as a senior. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think when you look at him from a frame perspective, that's what you want up front in the SEC. That's the type of body you want, the type of length you want. And uh, I'm interested to see, you know, he's played more of like a stand-up role in the past, and they're going to, it sounds like, let him put his hand down and, and really kind of play that position to the to the fullest. So, uh, interested to see what he has and if he's got some pass rushing juice. That's, I think, what's – I mean, I think we all think he's going to be moving inside probably at the next level. His frame is just too big. But if he has a little juice, he could stay outside. I have one more for you before we move on. Can you give me a 24 and 25? I can start, too, if you want some time. Uh, yeah, go ahead. You start. Okay, 24 – I've seen him a ton. I just want to watch him take the next step against actual UIL competition and potentially making a playoff run. Micah Hudson from Lake Belton. I, I cannot wait to watch him play. And then I don't know exactly. Um, I don't know exactly if you're going to take him or not. And I feel bad doing this just because he is your guy. But DeCorey Moore from um, Duncanville in the 2025 class is going to be so exciting. He was probably Duncanville's best like dynamic weapon on offense as a true freshman, in addition to his impact in the special teams return game. So imagining him after a really productive off season is just extremely exciting. So those are two real quick and I can brainstorm some more if uh, you want. I'm going to give you three in 2024 that I'm interested in all on the defensive side of the ball. We, we had this conversation on the phone earlier, but Kobe Black feels like a player that nobody talks about enough. I mean, we're, he's the number 37 player in the country. That's so guys. good. And yet when he comes to Texas, nobody's ever like, well, what's the deal with Kobe Black? I think he's got everything it takes to be an elite corner. And I want to see how he takes that next step, his progression going into his junior year. I think the biggest thing for these kids that flash early is – do they take a step in their junior year or do they stay the same? Another kid that I'm interested in, Justin Williams from Conroe Oak Ridge, who looks phenomenal on the hoof. Saw him in seven on seven, really excited by his frame and everything like that. Um, Want to see him more on the field and kind of how he, you know, puts all those tools to work. And then another guy that I think can play on either side of the ball uh, in the Houston area, Hunter Modden from Clear Lake, uh, a superior athlete, uh, but I you know, really want to see more on film from him this year. And again, just like the other guys, does he take a step forward from what he's been or does he remain kind of where he is? Damn, Mike, those are really good picks for on the spot. Like, I, I, I'm sure this might seem rehearsed because I'm like every single pick, I'm like, damn, Mike, great pick. But I don't know. Those were those were awesome. Here's another one for you for 2024 what QB emerges and becomes the Texas offer since more than likely Julian Sainz going to end up at Georgia and with Archer Manning 
in the boat. Like, how do they go from there? I'm going to give the first state of recruiting shout out to our boy that uh, we in our you know group text and also just normal thread love. You you kind of spotted him, Ryan Pulesi from I think Avon Old Farms in Connecticut. I'm super excited to watch him from afar. Won't be making the trip up to the Northeast to see him play unless he gets you know a Texas offer. But that's somebody that you identified. I watched the film, was just absolutely blown away, um, and you know might be a dark horse pick to get a Texas offer. You did steal my 2025 pick. It was going to be DeCorian, um, but exactly. Never fear. I have uh, I have other 2025s. I'm going to give you another receiver because that 25 receiver group is loaded. From it's unreal. Dal- from the Dallas area, uh, Red Oaks' Taz Williams, who has blown me away the last two times I've seen him in person um, and, and is a guy that I think can move up into that upper echelon of, of receivers in the 2025 class. Um, real quick, another 2025. It's not official yet. But there have been a lot of rumblings about um, Aldine Eisenhower, 2025 wide receiver athlete, Dion DeBlanc, originally a Liberty Panther, um, but was <laughs> was at Aldine Eisenhower's freshman year, potentially going to Galena Park North Shore. If he was able to play for North Shore, if that transfer got cleared and he was able to play, he'd absolutely be one of the breakout stars for me of the 2022 Texas high school football season. He's so good, and adding him to an already – juggernaut and prospect factory program him and Devin Sanchez on the same team those practice battles I I could not wait to see if that does happen but yeah should be a lot of fun we'll uh we'll talk a little more about the high school season in the coming weeks maybe some preview some games we will be at all those sorts of things but Hudson last time we did a full show now we did one after the uh the barbecue last week but last time we did a full show uh, was uh, we talked a little bit about the Texas offense and we dreamed on what it could be. Let's talk a little bit about the Texas defense. And I think when you talk about the Texas defense, it's less dreaming and a lot more like hoping, like, God, uh, you know, this needs to work out. This needs to work out. What are the potential problems? What what are also the potential kind of bright sides of this unit? And I'll start. I think the obvious problem for me is pass rush. It's been a problem in this program finding a legitimate pass rusher who can strike some fear into an offense. You know, I think Ovia Gofo gives you a, a competent pass rusher, a guy that's maybe a four or five sack guy at his best. I think that Baron Sorrell is a guy that could elevate his game to that level, but outside of them, what do you really have at that position right now? Yeah, it, it's a mat. And especially when you think about how important, both edge um both edge players the jack and the buck or whatever you want to call them are for the pete kwiatkowski's defense it's a massive problem and justice finkley being a rotation guy is going to help because we know how good he is and probably will be before his career is uh, over on the 40 acres but i think that the weakness in that area missing on a sean mathis um really just kind of paved the way for Pete Krakowski and the staff to get creative. And we haven't seen a ton of it because they've been going base stuff during the media viewing sessions, but you know, we've heard and you reported, I think you literally were the first to report that DeMarvin Overshone is going to get some work as a pass rusher. And while he might not technically play 
the Jack or the Buck, he's going to de facto be used as one when we actually get to the season. So I'm hoping that that can almost be a surge enough to kind of mask some problems and that Jalen Ford rising up as a potentially all-conference level linebacker can kind of mask some of those positional deficiencies. Um, But yeah, Mike, I think that's the perfect place to start because it is a bit of a problem. I will say this, though. Baron Sorrell looks absolutely fantastic. Like the strength and conditioning program has been incredibly kind to him. He looks jacked. Like he looks awesome. Yeah. And I thought he flashed well last year, you know, him and Byron Murphy were the two like freshmen on that team that really kind of proved they belonged. And I think, um, you know, while he may be a rotational guy with the ones by this is the year Byron Murphy establishes himself as the alpha on that defensive line going forward. Yeah, I, I think that we're probably going to – I'm going to spoil a future show. We're probably going to do some sort of um, draft where we <laughs> kind of just do a specific things in the uh, solid verbal podcast or total soccer show kind of line of things where we draft uh, specific things. And one of mine is more than likely, unless you steal it now, going to be Byron Murphy proves to the world that he has that dog in him. Yeah, I don't – if you watched him last year, I think he proved it a little bit. I think if if there's doubters, you know, they're uh, – Misinformed. I, they're misinformed. This is the year that he, he really establishes himself. And I'm really excited to see it because, as everybody knows, I'm like the number one Byron Murphy fan in the world um, and, and was like back when he was kind of getting recruited by nobody in college. And so uh, and it- I, I, I'm really excited for him. Edit this out if you think it's sharing too much, Mike, uh, genuinely. But you also were campaigning at the very different staff at the time, but you were campaigning the staff and uh, just a bunch of other college staffs that you were close to. Like, hey, this kid can play at the Power 5 level. Like, you need to give him a shot. I mean, he's he's DeSoto's all-time leading sack leader. Yeah, and it's not like they've got nobody's, you know, I mean, we're talking about a program that had Vaughn Miller and Shamar Turner, and yet Byron Murphy led led the team in sacks. Um, I legit did. chance to win a job too. Like Keandre Coburn, obviously has been around for a while, but Byron Murphy absolutely could win that job. I did a fair amount of campaigning, and I told different members of the Texas personnel department and staff because they were chasing Shamar Turner. I said, "Offer Byron Murphy, and it'll help you with Shamar, and you're gonna offer Byron Murphy at some point, anyways." And, um, you know, I think they just waited too long to do it. But luckily, you know, it turned out that they got Byron Murphy out of the deal. Uh, but it, it was too late for it to really have an effect with Shamar Turner. But getting Murphy in the class, I remember the morning I was called and told, hey, the Murph's going to flip. I was just, I was ecstatic just because I was such a huge fan of his potential. And he was, I mean, if you remember, previously committed to Baylor. That's the type of kid that just wrecks Texas when he's at Baylor. Yeah. So when you can get those types of kids, it's it's big. Um, we talked about a little bit about DeMarvin Overshone, and I think a big reason for that is because Jalen Ford has had an emergence this spring and summer. And if you look, he really started emerging during the fall last year. There were times where he showed really dominant linebacker play. One of those times, I was watching the Oklahoma State game from last year today, and I just found myself kind of jaw dropped at how many times I noticed Jalen Ford making a big play. Um, that's the X factor for me this year. If Jalen Ford is everything we've heard he he is and, and can be, 
I think that this defense, at least in the front seven, is a lot better. Absolutely, Mike. And I ended up watching that Oklahoma State game because you you sent me a text this morning that you were going back through it. And also, um, I had kind of forgotten the context about that game. Just uh, And Sark, actually, during his presser, mentioned hey, we were in the red zone up 17-3 to on an Oklahoma State team that, you know, event was essentially inches away from the Big 12 title and potentially could have gone 13-1. and And, you know, Sark said we threw a pick six um, inside the red zone that kind of flipped the momentum of that game. And I had just kind of forgotten that. And watching back that game, if you want to sell if, – if you need some Kool-Aid – to be like, hey, talk me into this Texas defense. I think it's that performance. It was so much better than I remembered. Um, And I I honestly think that if Texas plays complimentary football and doesn't make mistakes, that's a double-digit win against a team that was really good last year. Yeah, I mean, I I told you this today, but the defense did not let up. I was – I, I have like very specific memories about that game because I was on the sideline taking photos yep. during that game. Big and visit weekend. It was a huge visit weekend. It was Arches, Arches fall visit and a bunch of kids in town. And I do remember after the pick six going upstairs at halftime to the press box and telling Jeff Howe, like, you know, that could really come back to bite them. I think that they had them on the ropes and, and that put them right back in the game. And then watching again today, it was like, they had the pick six and then they stopped Texas quick and then they got another field goal before the half. So you went from a potentially 24 to three game to a 17, 13 game, you know, like that. And even though Texas scored, uh, I think to go up like 24, 13 or yeah, 24, 16, so. um, you know, it just felt like it was getting away from, but the defense didn't let up an offensive touchdown until the fourth quarter. And people wanted to talk a lot about defenses folding late but a lot of that, and I've said for a while, was the offense's failure to sustain drives late in games and get first downs and keep the clock moving. There were times where they just put the defense into kind of maximum capacity and they just couldn't handle it. And, and you know, we talk a lot about finishing games and just figuring out how to win games. That's what we're talking about when we say that. I mean, those are games. The Baylor game was almost the same. That'll probably be viewed tomorrow. Um, so I can give you more specifics about that next week uh, from what I remember. But like the Baylor game was the same. The Oklahoma game was like that. You know, it was just a, a case of defense holding up as long as they could and then falling down when they couldn't get off the field. Yeah. And I obviously we're talking teams so we can kind of go down this tangent, but I've mentioned it a ton on various podcasts and I know that we kind of were in lockstep on this just privately, but it's so refreshing that Sark in press conferences and privately is just very open about the fact that, yeah, this was a problem and I'm doing everything in my power to fix it. I'm openly addressing it. I'm making changes within the team culture and in the coaching staff to kind of address these problems. It's not like Sark is just going to go back out there and be like, well, we're going to run through the brick wall harder this time. Like, no, you know, there, there's, there are strategies in place from him to prevent that sort of collapse from happening. And I do think that it's really um, a credit to him that he's able to also not fully just have these horrible memories from them and be like, look, we prepared well and our coaches got our guys to play great first halves a lot of the time. Now it's just 
that second step of actually finishing people. And I do think that, you know, there were times when it was going well for Texas kind of before the implosion, like Louisiana and Texas Tech, where you can kind of point to it of this Texas team actually stepping on throats more than other teams in recent memory. So hopefully um, one of my favorite phrases is just like in college football, you have to win your clunkers or you have to beat down the teams that uh, you're really supposed to beat down. And hopefully that's what this version of this uh, 2022 team is, is actually getting to step on some throats and just making sure that teams don't have you know, any hope to come back in the second half. So I don't know. It's exciting. Uh, uh, Going more on defensive talk. What do you think about the other linebackers in that room? Since we kind of touched on Jalen Ford and Demo. So obviously you have Diamante Tucker Dorsey, Jet Bush moved back to inside backer and um, David Benda obviously has been a rotational player so far in his career. And Devin Richardson moving back there. Yeah, that's right. H back as well. Um, it seems like the depth is better. I can say that. Um, I don't love Jeff Bush there from what I've seen throughout his career, but it's also like, what are you doing with him at this point? I think the edge experiment with him last year kind of failed. Um, and so can he give you some early downs as a run stopper? Uh, maybe you take him off the field on third down or something or, or, or have a new sub package. That's kind of where I see him, but I'm interested in, like, what is the report on Diamante Tucker-Dorsey coming out of fall? Like, how did he adjust? How did he look during practice? Is he a guy that can give you more than just depth? Is he a guy that can give you quality snaps? Yeah, and I I think you've heard something too, Mike, but I remember me telling you about a source that was like, look, uh, DTD is absolutely crushing these summer workouts, and they love his just – ethic you know just his work ethic and how much he's bringing other guys to just optional volunteer workouts so I do think that at the very least with him they just have a productive um, really good locker room presence and with David Benda you know tools are there to be a pretty pretty damn good player yeah a guy that can again give you quality snaps not a guy that's gonna you know win the buckets award or anything but uh, certainly a guy that you can rely on to to be on the field and not be a liability. I think the bigger questions on this defense are in the secondary. And, yeah. you know, one thing I noticed, I've watched a couple of games in the last week watching TCU. Uh, I noticed against Oklahoma State. I did kind of forget how good Anthony Cook was at times last year and, yeah. and kind of the light coming on for him. So I'm excited for him back there. But there's a lot of questions in the secondary. And, you know, I think Ryan Watts can be a good player, but I got to see it. I think, you know, can Deshaun Jameson – I don't know what I think on Deshaun Jameson, man, because sometimes he does some things where you're like, okay, nobody else can do that. And then sometimes you often see him lost in coverage. But, you know, is there a better option than him? Is there a better option than uh, Jaron Thompson at at free safety? You know, it's just a lot of questions for me back there. Yeah, I, I definitely – I think that Anthony Cook moving to safety is a very good move because last year's safety play was some of the worst that I – since I've been a uh, Texas football fan that I've watched. So I, I do like that move. I would prefer it if the light came on for Keaton Crawford. I'm sure the staff would say, hey, we would too, because I think that that is the ideal pair for him. 
Um, Jaron Thompson, I think, you know, if, if everything goes well, he's a high floor player, but Keaton Crawford obviously just has kind of that next gear. Ryan Watts is one of the more important players on the team for me. I'd put him top five because if he is the player who we kind of heard that was potentially even could have been a starting level corner at Ohio state. And he takes that here, that's absolutely massive. And then that gives a little bit more flexibility of, okay, well, Deshaun Jameson now can be the second cornerback and we can kind of move him around, potentially even hide him for matchups or, okay, now when we're in base and we're not in nickel, Jade Barron maybe could play that second corner spot and we could just move him to nickel when we actually do go into that packet. I think that the three of Watts, Barron, and um, Cook are going to be the spine of this defensive back, and it's just making sure those other two spots are at least playing competent football and you know aren't just – lowering the head into tackles and, you know, getting mossed on during 50-50s or, uh, you know, unreal penalties. We didn't talk about the interior of the defensive line a ton. I will say this, and I'd just like to start that um, conversation with the fact that, like, it feels kind of now or never-ish for Alfred Collins. Like, I don't know how you feel about that, Mike. Maybe a little harsh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I would say you're definitely right. I would say it's kind of now or never for everybody there. Like, Keandre Coburn's been a good player, but can can Keandre Coburn elevate his game one more step? And, I mean, I don't know what scouts would say about Keandre Coburn right now, but I can't imagine him being more than a late, late pick at the best and, you know, probably an undrafted guy. Um, Can he kind of work his way into a middle-round guy? Can Like, Tavondre Sweat is a guy that, I think at times has played dominant in the middle of the line, but also at times disappears. You know, if you're going to list yeah. Alfred Collins now or never, it's now or never for Vernon Brock at that yeah. point. Yeah, so absolutely. I, there's a lot of big bodies there. They've recruited a lot of quality, big, big body players. I mean, even when you look at last year's group with Aaron Bryant coming in and all those guys, you know, Drapers I think so. There's a lot of options. There's a lot of beef there, but I think that um, you know the biggest thing is just can they can they make it work? Overall, what are your thoughts heading into uh, for defense still heading into the year on scheme? That's probably one of the bigger questions that I consistently get from friends and people on the board is can we trust this scheme? Considering at times last year it did feel like outside zone heavy teams kind of picked us apart with uh, leverage and formation. I'll I'll just give you my takes too. So I'm not totally putting on you a spot. I'm kind of at a six out of 10. I I do think that Pete Kwiatkowski's resume speaks for itself. And, you know, even though last year's results weren't good by any metric, I mean, basically everybody had us higher than a hundred and, um, just about every run uh, stopping analytic or metric, but I don't know, Mike, I I do think that tentatively I'm thinking that with some increased or some better personnel that it can be, can be good. Yeah. I think it's proven to have worked, right? I mean, it's, it, it was a, Washington had dominant defenses year after year in the Pac-12. And, you know, maybe the challenge is the Pac-12 didn't have an offense like the Big 12 has. But 
I, I think it's worked. It's sent a lot of guys to the NFL. It's just I don't think they have the guys. And, and part of that's on them. Um, you know, maybe Justice Finkley is the guy uh, that can, you know, help. But they need a lot more from those edge positions, as we talked about. And I think that's a big part of making that defense go. And, um, you know, I think another big part is finding the guy that is at that star position who plays the uh, – oh, what's the guy – it plays the Buddha Baker role, so to speak. If you if you had a player like that who could play in that role and do what Buddha Baker did at Washington, you know that that helps you a lot more. So scheme wise, I'm with you. I mean, it's proven. It's not a flash in the pan guy that had one good year and, and then got hired at a big school. It's a guy that's had consistent success. I think, and like I said, I've been the biggest defender of this defense because I think history has been more unkind to it circumstantially than it really looked last year at times when you consider, you know, the fact that they they busted up Oklahoma State for three quarters. I, I, I'm going to, again, I'm going to watch the game. I got to I got to watch the game to get more specifics, but I recall them like busting up Baylor for most of that game. Um, you know, it, Oklahoma until Caleb Williams came in and, and you've got a curveball that you're not, you know, you're not really ready for it. And that's, again, that's on the coaches, but uh, they were handling Oklahoma in that game, you know, defensively. So, I mean, th- this defense has shown spurts where it's it's been really good. Yeah, and I, I do think for me the concerning thing is the fact that there's a lot of indicators like stuff rate or like uh, yards before contact that aren't uh great but i do think can be fixed with better linebacker and better safety play i don't think it's totally scheme also mike uh this is something that we hear a lot from former players when they talk to us but you know talking about last year's defense you know pete kutkowski isn't on the headsets um you know saying oh that's my bad when marvin mims goes up and puts junk on a forehead on a 50 50 ball right like there's some stuff that happened last year where you know you kind of can't blow the scheme for somebody in a one-on-one situation just missing a tackle or you know getting beat uh on a 50 50 ball we i mentioned this on the last episode as a question i'd love to hear your take here can you give me one breakout guy for this season can either be a true freshman or kind of younger player or maybe just somebody out of the blue that you have a take can be a legit contributor for this defense. Well, I guess I've played the Jalen Ford and Byron Murphy cards already. So I'll try to go away from them. Um, I'm going to, I guess I'll lean on Terrence Brooks. I think Terrence Brooks has the talent to kind of force his way into some corner play and allow them to do a few more things with the secondary. And I think Terrence Brooks, especially with some stuff we heard lately, checks the box of having that dog. in. Yeah. He always has had that dog in him. And I think that if he really just gets the skill based side and, you know, mentally can kind of just get up to play speed there, he could absolutely uh, go for some playing time. I have a, a nuclear take that I'll I'll say is my second choice. I'm I'm with you that I think Byron Murphy absolutely is going to take that step and be a legit um, legit breakout player to the point to where I could see Byron Murphy actually solving some of their problems when it comes to pass rush 
Like that's how much I believe in him as a player because he's just such a different option at that spot than what you normally get. Like you'd normally for the big time power five schools, you do get a Keandre Coburn double team eating space guy at that spot. And Byron Murphy's just like throwing a change up to a lot of these interior offensive linemen. So I could see him if they're only rushing four or rushing three, still kind of helping collapse pockets. Here's the nuclear take, Mike. I don't think you'll agree with this. Later on during the season, like six games in to 12 games in, so don't roast me if this doesn't happen against, you know, Texas Tech or UTSA. I could absolutely see Ethan Burke getting into the rotation as a situational pass rusher and actually making making a difference. Like, the problem with Ethan is that physically he's not ready yet. And I think that throughout fall camp, we're going to hear reports that, you know, hey, just not ready yet, like what we're seeing. But because the edge room is so thin, if a two or if, you know, one or two injuries happen, Ethan Burke does provide that upside as a pass rusher to where in third and longs, I, I think that he might be able to, you know, be a difference maker. Yeah, I I can see that. Uh, the one I'm going to give you is another uh, true blue Mike Roach guy. Um, it's Maurice Blackwell. I want to yeah. I want to see what happens with Maurice Blackwell. Like, thought he was going to be kind of an answer at backer. It seems like he's going to have to go to safety because he just has it physically added weight, like they thought he would. He's kind of the anti Demarvian Overshow, right? Like. We saw DeMarvin Overshone in high school. We're like, okay, that guy's clearly a linebacker who thinks he's a safety. And while we all thought that was going to be the same path for, for Mo Blackwell, you know, it's kind of, okay, he's clearly a safety who thinks he's a linebacker at this point. Um, but when you talk about tackling ability, instinctive play, um, you know, already showed out on special teams last year, I thought a couple of times would have had a, a fumble return on a, block punt for a touchdown had uh keelan robinson not been off sides against tech um that's a guy that i'm kind of i want to see what he looks like this year and if he can make a difference in that secondary if he can play that buddha baker role maybe i that's what i was about to mention we've talked a lot about steve sarkeesian's pieces on the offensive side of the ball and just how kind of diverse of a skill set he has to kind of uh play with Maurice Blackwell might be that change up level player too, and that they could almost use him as a big nickel. Like they could play him at that star role. They could move him around. Like, I, I don't know, man, that's, that's a really interesting one as well. And I think somebody that should be in the rotation, like I, I would be a little bit disappointed if by the meat of conference season, we're not seeing Mo Blackwell on the field. Okay, since we're talking defense and we didn't address it on the offense, I'm just going to lump them in here. How? What's your concern level, scale of 1 to 10, with special teams this year? Uh, the kicking and punting, extremely. Everything else as far as, like, return game and um, the uh, overall blocking and Jeff Banks scheme as far as, you know, everything else, I'm totally – I'm totally fine with, but the kicking battle, <laughs> I am definitely a little bit worried about. It seems like Will Stone and Burt Auburn are the two guys that are competing for it. I would assume that Will Stone probably would have the edge since he's a guy that they decided to use a scholarship on and bring in instead of um, just being a walk-on. But also, you know, Burt Auburn didn't look bad in the spring game, but I'm definitely not confident after we had 
what, four years of Cameron Dicker? Yeah, and punting, like Isaac Pearson, is he I – mean, I know he's been on campus a couple of years, but, like, is he ready to, um, you know, kind of take that role and, and run with it and be – like, as good as Dicker was – you know, Dicker was fine. Like he's definitely not Justin Tucker or anything, but yeah. as, as far as college kickers go, they're always a mixed bag. I thought that Dicker gave you enough as a kicker, but man, as a punter, he was kind of a revelation. Almost. Yeah, so, absolutely. A much better punter than kicker in my opinion. Like he was fantastic as a punter. Yeah. So can he do that? And, you know, I heard Sark mention some things about, um, kind of return game and, and putting fewer of their frontline guys in return and on special teams. So I'm, I'm so happy you see, mentioned that. Yeah. I'm interested to see who kind of emerges out of that group that can do it. I mean, I know they talked about Keelan Robinson returning kicks and uh, you know, you don't want him returning punts because you want him on the front line trying to block a punt. But um, you know, it's could a guy like Savian red be a factor as a returner. Also, Mike, too, if you are a true freshman on the team and didn't, like, get out of your seat hearing that from Sark, like, you have such an opportunity to make a statement on special teams. Like, if I was Xavion Bryce, if I was, you know, Jalen Gilbo, or even, you know, you mentioned Savion Red in the return game, but just if he has to play coverage, like, that's the type of stuff where you really earn respect as a teammate. Yeah, it's it's where you earn your way onto the field first is on special teams. So there's a concern level there for me, especially with just the place kicking. Like, because I think you can you can figure out kickoffs. Yeah, you can even, you can even like if you're going to rugby punt, you can figure out punting. It's figuring out place kicking is is the big concern for me. A- absolutely, it's figuring out. Oh, oh snap! Uh, sorry, I forget we're not supposed to cuss on the show, so, so I almost let out one, but caught myself. It's figuring out we have a fourth and three at the you know thirty-one yard line. Is this a we can take the lead with a field goal, or do we just leave the offense out on the field because we're not totally sure in either a redshirt freshman or a true freshman with the kicking battle? So, you know, it's one of those things to where. Will Stone is going to probably look to earn that scholarship early or Bert Auburn is going to make his case to get put on scholarship. It's it's one of the things that I probably would say fans should be the most worried about is just that uncertainty early. Yeah. So I think that that'll kind of do it for our uh... – Oh, I, I, had, I had one more for you. I had one more for you. Okay. What level does this Texas defense need to play to win a conference championship? See, I don't think they have to play at a huge – like, they don't have to win games for them. They said just top have 50. To, yeah. Yeah, I think they could even be, like, top 65. Like, yeah, all they've got to do is be marginally better than they were last year. I mean, how many games do they win last year if the defense is marginally better? Like, you're not yeah. going to – you're not going to beat Arkansas the way that the offense played. You're not going to beat Iowa State the way the offense played. Other than that, like, who did they lose to where you're like, okay, if the defense isn't just a little bit better, you know, they win this game. Yeah, absolutely. Which is such a hysterical premise, but is also true when you look back and watch uh, last year's season. Um, Real quick, too, Mike, anything out of the first two days of fall camp that just gets you excited? You know, the guys don't have the pads on, uh, so the takes are kind of funny seeing from people and also even some sources being like, yo, this guy looked great. It's like, well, 
you know, no pads. Yeah, no it's it, it's hard to take a lot out of it. I mean, I hear Cameron Williams looks big. I knew that because <laughs> I've known Cameron Williams for a few years. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of people who haven't seen these guys, uh, you know, through recruiting or whatever, just being like, "Wow, they're they're large." And it's like, yeah, been been saying that. Yeah. Or, or they're fast. Which is funny because if I was reporting on practice, I would be like, Cameron Williams actually looks smaller than last time I saw him. Exactly. Literally, yeah. So that's been a little bit funny. Um, other than just what we know has happened um, with the two days of you know non-padded practice as they kind of acclimate to the heat and get ready, um, anything that you're particularly really excited about as we get into the meat of fall camp? Obviously, quarterback battle is what most people are going to be pretty pumped about. Yeah. I want to speak on quarterback battle for a second. And I want to apologize to our listeners because this has been our most chaotic show because several times while Hudson speaking, I've had to get up and take a squeak toy away from my dog. And I wish this one we were doing on video because you can see the pile of squeak toys. I'm going to show Hudson on my, uh, (laughs) on my kitchen table right now so that the dog can't yeah it looks like a it looks like a drug bust room in a police station but like for dogs it's just like every i'm running low on battery so we're up against the clock i don't have my charger with me um but i do want to speak on quarterback battle because i think you got to be careful with what you digest from these practice reports if it's if you're expecting quinn ewers not to go out there and throw an interception like just stop following the stuff right now. If you're expecting, yeah. you know, Bijan Robinson not to fumble at some point, it, it doesn't mean his game has gone to hell because he fumbled in a, in a practice or something. You know, these guys are – for, for one, they're shaking off the rust from spring. Everybody's getting back into things. Um, and then especially when you talk about the quarterbacks, like, yeah, they're going to take some chances. They're trying to win a job. And yep. you you don't win jobs by checking down in practice all the time. Sometimes you've got to make a throw and try to try to stretch the field a little bit. And I think that anybody who overreacts to a report of Quinn Ewers throwing an interception is uh, probably not equipped for following this long term. Mike's in the pulpit. Let's go. I, I absolutely agree with all that. And also, uh, and by the way, guess what? Quinn Ewers, if he wins a job, he'll throw interceptions in the season too. Yep one just kind of the player he is that he's always been and two you know you got to take some of the bad to get the good which is defenses have to play you know five yards extra off and it stretches the field vertically more to take those chances and more than likely would end up giving Bijan Robinson a lot more space to work with to where teams aren't just staying in cover one or cover three and getting to put eight in the box against Texas so yeah, Mike in the pulpit. Let's go. That was that was great. Also, I do uh I did feel like a couple times that I was um uh <laughs> I was going on for too long as you were out of the picture and was worried fans were gonna get annoyed. So I'm I'm glad you made that. Yeah, this uh, is our known. most chaotic show ever. I'm currently petting my dog right now, so he will just stand here because he has ruined the show. Thank you, Winston, for ruining the show. I don't know. It you adds some ass. charm to it. It's like the early episodes of Pardon My Take when Stella was just losing her mind. Yeah, he's he doesn't know how to handle it when he's not the center of attention. All right, anything else, Hudson, before we get out of here? Yeah, just real quick, because I know that the battery's gone. Uh, just trench play, I think, is one of the more interesting to see who's kind of on top when they get into the pads. And also, 
we've mentioned it a ton, Mike. I know you're probably sick of talking about it, but it's the thing I find the second most interesting, maybe even first um, for training camp. And it's which freshman offensive linemen are going to win jobs. And Kyle Flood and Steve Sarkeesian during their press conferences were not ducking away from uh, those questions at all. And were definitely mentioning the fact that like they're expecting some of those guys, whether it's Devon Campbell, Kelvin Banks, Neto Amoslo, Cam Williams, Cole Hudson, like they're expecting some of those guys to win jobs. Obviously Sark didn't appreciate it when Kelvin Banks got kind of singled out with a little bit of a silly question. But other than that, like that's the main thing I'd say. You know, it did give me juice to read that uh, Devon Campbell had some reps at center because yeah, I think, I mean, I, I obviously I love him at guard. I think if he could play all three of the interior spots. And long you know, term. Like we watched him at the Under Armour All-American game and Chris Singletary, who works for the network and has been a, was a former player and was a DPP at Michigan, said that dude's a future All-Pro NFL center. And uh, he's like, you know, he's just really interesting at that position. So if he can build that versatility and get there, that's what really gets me jacked. You know, you know, I love my guys, and and along with Byron Murphy and Mo Blackwell, DJ Campbell is my guy. Absolutely, Mike. And I will say this: Kyle Flood, I think, uh, you know, is very cognizant of the fact that if you're able to snap, you have a lot more NFL value, and it'll help you get picked higher. That's something. That's a reason why I think that Junior Anglau is taking a lot of reps at center because he would probably be the second guy behind Jake Majors. Or, you know, hey, maybe our be- the best version of the Texas offensive line is junior at center. But more than anything, it adds that NFL value if we know this guy can snap too. And so even if long-term uh, Devon Campbell is always going to be the a left or right guard at the University of Texas, having that in his bag throughout the draft process, you know, three years in the future – is a wildly smart move. Yep, absolutely. So uh, we will be back next week with more on fall camp, talk a little bit of recruiting. Hopefully we'll have um, maybe a couple of commitments to recap and, uh, and, and, and see what else comes out of the recruiting world. All right. Uh, we appreciate you guys for listening for, especially to this one for dealing with the show uh, with, with the most chaotic show we've ever had. Um, for Hudson Sandish, I'm Mike Roach. We'll see you guys next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.